Ice to Your Earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on Ice with Greg Wyshynski. Well, hey, everybody. I'm Greg Wyshynski. Uh, welcome to ESPN on Ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. And uh, and we have reached the end of 2017, the longest year in recorded history. <laughs> Hi, I'm Emily, Emily Kaplan. Kaplan. <laughs> Hi, I'm Emily Kaplan. And uh, I just want to tell all of our loyal listeners of three fabulous weeks, Happy New Year. Thanks for listening. <laughs> it is the uh, year interview show here on ESPN on Ice. And uh, we are going to be covering the top 10 stories of the year. ESPN.com, uh, your friends there on the NHL side will be giving you top goals, uh, top uh, uh, the, the top people and the biggest transactions overall. Uh, but this is stories. We've got a couple transactions on this list, but it's not a full transactions list. Um, so we wanted to cover the top 10. We'll count them down. You can count along. You can get very mad at us as we get to the story that you thought should be number one, and it's not. Uh, and that's the way this thing goes. That's the way the cookie crumbles. That's Remember? the way the cookie crumbles. And hopefully you had some of those delicious holiday cookies. None of the oatmeal raisin variety. Mm-hmm. Why are no. those, those? I don't like those cakey cookies that you get. Like it's like a holiday tradition, and you know, usually a kid makes them, and the bottom's burnt. And it's just... Or the sugar cookies that have like the Christmas tree and the like very fluorescently green dye. I love yeah. those. And then they have the same ones for those, and see, those are good, but the ones that actually have a little like girth to them that like are like Christmas trees. You don't want girth like, three in your cookie. <laughs> you don't you want, want girth, girth in your cookie. stomach. <laughs> That's right. where you want the girth. Let's get to the top 10 stories of 2017 uh, straight away. Number 10, Joe Louis Arena. The Joe it closes its doors to the uh, Detroit Red Wings. The Red Wings officially moved to the Little Caesars Arena Pizza Pizza. Uh, the Joe opened up in 1979, and, uh, and, uh, and now it is no longer uh, an arena for the Red Wings. Yeah, it's really sad, especially because it closed at a time when the Red Wings just aren't themselves. It's a really boring team right now. They're kind of directionless. And honestly, we were talking the other day about how to cover the Red Wings in 2018 and beyond. And the most interesting thing about them is their new arena right now. Yeah. It's big and, and shiny. And it's, it is, it's big and shiny. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it was sad. Like the, the Joe is, is one of those places that is in a, a series of other places in the 1980s and 1990s that I think had, uh, such personality, uh, on their own as, as buildings. I mean, the spectrum was like that in Philly and other places, uh, as well. And, uh, and it's a huge sea change for the team. And like you said, I mean, like you, you almost wish that it was still within the playoff streak, uh, for the Red Wings to have made this transition, but unfortunately it's not. Uh, so uh, they leave uh, in a downtime for the franchise, and it's got to be an awkward transition for the fans uh, in many ways. For all the players that have played in this building for the Red Wings, I thank you for your support. So Joe Louis Arena, uh, the big change for the Red Wings. Uh, another is one number, bites the dust in Detroit. Another one bites the dust. And by dust, we of course mean asbestos. Uh, that's <laughs> number 10 on our list. The number nine story of 2017 in hockey, the blockbuster trade. That sent Artemi Panarin to the Columbus Blue Jackets and returned Brandon Saad to the Chicago Blackhawks. The Chicago Blackhawks, they reacquire Brandon Saad, who won a couple of cups with the team. But in the process, they send the dynamic wing Artemi Panarin over to the Columbus Blue Jackets. So a very busy day for Chicago. This one was so shocking because of the timing, uh, because of the team it involved, the Blackhawks. Uh, 
were terrible, terrible, terrible in their first round game, getting uh, knocked out by the Nashville Predators, had no offense. And Stan Bowman shook things up. He made his first move in trying to get the band back together when they made all the Stanley Cup magic. And they got rid of a really promising player in Artemi Panarin. They obviously did this for cost certainty as well. But um, this was not something that anyone really expected to happen. And that's why it's on our list. Well, and then also because Jonathan Taves probably threw a fit behind the scenes and says, why does Patrick Kane get all the good players? Why can't I have a great winger too? Get me Brandon Saad. I know him. I know him. He's my friend. You've been working on your Taves impression, haven't you? <laughs> I don't even know if I have a Taves impression, but if I did, it would probably have that to involve... That is nowhere close. No, it would have to involve all of the weird sort of environmental and, and medicinal stuff that he talks about on other podcasts. It'd be like a low <laughs> grumble. It's like kind of thing. I'll workshop it. I'll workshop it. Please. It wasn't a, a shocking trade in the sense that the Chicago Blackhawks have kind of become known for having to unload great young players because of salary considerations. Maybe it was a shock because of the way Panarin and Kane had combined to be an unstoppable duo. And I, and I think the biggest shock was the fact that they reacquired a player that they previously had to trade for salary considerations. And uh, I don't think a lot of us thought Brandon Saad would be back in Chicago, but there he was. And, and he started the season strong and then didn't end 2017 all that strong. And here we are. And here we are. All right, number eight. Claude Julian fired and then hired. I was a guy that was let go about a week ago. I know the feeling of when you're let go. And Ken Hitchcock fired and then hired. This is an emotional day for me because this is like coming home. This means the world to me. It's old faces in old places. One of the most interesting things in my transition from the NFL to the NHL, where I used to think in the NFL they just had a cycle of coaches, they hire and rehire, but there's actually a lot of new names every year. In the NHL, it is the most uh, incestuous pool where they just pluck again and again. And, you know, one of the problems is that's a copycat league and you want to, you know, have success that happened before. So, you know, no guys come from the college ranks when it does happen in Philly. They're not having success, so no one's going to go try to find enough Dave Haskell out there. Uh, instead, we've got Claude Julien and his really unceremonious exit from the Bruins. It felt like a really sad breakup. I don't know if I was ready for But uh, he didn't really have that many times to watch his rom-coms and drink too many cookies and get girth uh, to his stomach because <laughs> he got hired right away by uh, not only then, not only then, uh, their big original six rivals. Yeah, in Montreal. And, and that's the funny part. Like you mentioned the NFL. I mean, you know, obviously one of the big dynamics here at play in this story was the fact that if he, if Montreal fires its coach, as it did with Michelle Terry, and it, it, it then needs to go and hire a bilingual coach, as as is the uh, the want and need for Montreal. It's not it's not as if if the Tennessee Titans fire their coach, they're like, y'all know we gotta get somebody in here who speaks the language. Who like, likes it's, chicken? <laughs> yeah, it's right. It's never he like needs that. To like fried chicken. <laughs> So there's that dynamic again, like it's, but it is kind of, I mean, like, I think we could all maybe understand the idea of Claude Julian going back to Montreal, known, known commodity, great coach, uh, great some, contract. Yeah. Great contract. Someone, someone who obviously they, they're, they would love to hire the Ken Hitchcock thing I thought was a bit of a surprise in the sense that it was almost like the destiny for him. As soon as the St. Louis blues decided to move off him and, and, and promote Mike Yo, who was, you know, it was like Men in Black. He was hired to be his replacement, basically. Uh, you know, it made him the head coach. All the talk started of like, you know, if Lindy Ruff gets turfed in, in Dallas, like Ken Hitchcock's going to be the coach there. And then it just wound up being that way. So old faces in old places. 
also a really awkward fit, too, with Ken Hitchcock there. He's such a defensive coach, and this is a team with two super high-end offensive talents. So, well, I imagine there's a lot of awkward fitting in Ken Hitchcock's world. Number seven on our list, it's the Matt Duchesne blockbuster trade, a three-way dance between the Ottawa Senators, the Colorado Avalanche, and the Nashville Predators. For the Colorado Avalanche, that's Matt Duchesne right now. News is breaking that he has been involved in a trade that has been completed, and it looks like they have pulled him off the ice here after just playing a couple of minutes to start this hockey game. I was rumors were he was going to Ottawa. And you know what? This wasn't just recency bias because it did happen pretty recently. This was a huge trade because of the ripple effects throughout the league. It involved two big players in Matt Duchesne and Kyle Turris. It also ended our great national nightmare in extracting Matt Duchesne from the tenuous and terrible situation he was in in Colorado. Yeah, and it, and it was a three-way deal, which we rarely see now in the NHL, a three-way deal involving you know palpable, notable players. And one of these deals that I think deserves all the scrutiny it got where you could look at the haul that Joe Sackett got including getting Samuel Gerrard a a great young defenseman from the Nashville Predators and getting some draft picks and say that he did pretty well for himself being patient and not dealing away Duchesne when all the pressure was there to have done so especially when Duchesne basically quit on the team last season but the real gem as as we've seen this thing play out in the last couple months was the addition of Kyle Turris to the Nashville Predators like I infamously said that the Predators weren't going to make the playoffs. I have come to regret that decision quite immensely because they're quite good. But now with the addition of Turris shoring up one of the positions on this team in a pretty significant way, that could be the lasting legacy there as we see the uh, Ottawa Senators flail and flop and uh, Duchesne struggle there. The addition of Turris in this three-way dance at least for this season, seems like the biggest deal. I don't know how it's going to work out for the duration of that contract he signed, but at least this season, it looks like that might be the big takeaway from the trade. Yeah, his two line mates each have eight goals in their first 17 games playing with him. I call that a resounding success. As would I. Uh, speaking of Nashville, number six on our list, the rise of Smashville. Smashville is a smash hit in the NHL, but that success was anything but overnight. Yeah, well, and you know, when I were talking earlier about what would make a coach in uh, Nashville, uh, it wouldn't be that they need that, like, fried chicken. They'd have to, like, country music, because as we learned in the playoffs <laughs> last year, Country music is awesome, and it really became this cultural phenomenon that led into the mainstream. Smashville was the most fun party in town. The Predators were awesome. P.K. Subban helped his Q rating immensely by doing things like (laughs) accusing other players of not using mouthwash and wearing fur coats and cowboy hats to games. It was awesome, and I wish I was there to throw a catfish onto the ice. Yeah, it was awesome and, and eye-opening, too, for a lot of, well, Canadians who didn't realize what was happening in Nashville as far as the way that the fan base had grown and, and, and how fun the games were and what a difficult place it had become to play for opposing teams. The biggest takeaway for me in, in covering the, the Cup Final in Nashville was not only the giant mass of flesh that was the combination of hockey fans and the country music festivals that were going on at the same time, which led to some amazing parties, but boy, howdy, was it crowded. But also just going back and seeing how the Predators meticulously connected with fans, you know, adopting the country music stars as being part of the fan base and, and having them get involved and, and starting to speak the language of the fans. The world is going to find out that Nashville is a hockey town versus trying to maybe dumb down the product to try to reach people that weren't hockey fans. It's a very simple equation that the Washington Capitals had done before and now the Predators had repeated, which is if you hold a party 
then people will want to attend your party. And it's if so simple. If you build simple. it, they, yeah, will they will come. Yeah, but if you build it and it's a giant beer-swilling country music hoedown that people want to be a part of and, and feel almost FOMO if they're not a part of it, where they're throwing catfish on the ice and everything else, then they're definitely going to come. And, and it's a, a real simple equation, not always the easiest one to solve, but I thought the Predators have done it and the results were there in the cup final. It was, it was one of the better experiences I've ever had covering a playoff run for a team. I have FOMO still. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, the top five stories of 2017 in the world of hockey. All right, welcome back to ESPN on Ice's top 10 stories of 2017. To recap it so far, number 10, Joe Louis Arena says goodbye to the Red Wings, and they say goodbye to Joe Louis Arena. Number 9, the Brandon Saad, Artemi Panarin blockbuster trade between Chicago and Columbus. Number 8, Claude Julien fired and rehired. Ken Hitchcock fired and rehired. Old faces in old places. Number 7, the Matt Duchesne blockbuster trade. And number 6, the rise of a Smashville where the catfish fly. And now that means we have reached our top five stories of 2017, beginning with number 5, the U.S. women's national team holding out for what they felt they were due. Unanimously, we're all unified in in our decision to move forward and um, potentially sit this World Championships out if significant progress isn't made. This was a significant story because when we look back at 2017, I think one of the larger national storylines is the Me Too movement and women speaking up against things that they were previously silent about. And in this case, we saw it happen in the sports world, specifically the hockey world. The women's hockey team is arguably more successful than their male counterparts and weren't being treated the same as far as them as athletes and, you know, the amenities that they get and the way they got to travel to games and stay at hotels. And so they stood up for what they believed in and it got ugly at one point and they stood firm and ultimately got what they wanted, which is really important. The new labor contract takes the women's players from being paid $6,000 during the Olympic window every four years to making $70,000 per year with Olympic gold medal bonuses, taking that to possibly a six-figure income. Equity with the men's team on insurance and travel and a guarantee to match any improvements that the men would receive. They said they weren't going to participate in the IIHF World Championships in Michigan. They didn't like the word boycott, but it kind of was boycott. And, uh, you know, that was a really big deal for USA Hockey to have that tournament in Michigan to have it on U.S. soil. So this was a heck of a stand they took and they knew what it meant to take that stand against USA Hockey. Basically, they were looking for more equitable support in the areas of financial compensation, youth team development, equipment, travel expenses, hotel accommodations, meals, staffing, transportation, on and on and on. They wanted to be marketed a little bit better, too, based on how much success they've had internationally, including at the Olympics. And they got what they wanted for the most part, and and they deserved it because, as you said, the women's team uh, has been more successful than the men's team overall in the Olympics for the last several of them, and they stood tight. It got a little dicey because USA Hockey was threatening to have 18 and 20 year olds move bring up. Bring in the scabs. Yep, and bring in the scabs, as you said, to, to uh, play that tournament. But uh, the scabs, as they might have been, were pretty cool in saying, you know what, this is going to be us in a few years, and they're fighting for it for us as well. So the women stood their ground and got what they were looking for. Our fourth biggest story of 2017 in hockey. Connor McDavid's wild ride. And back the other way comes McDavid. McDavid comes in. More McDavid magic on opening night. And what a wild ride it has been from MVP at the end of 2016-17 to whatever he's in right now in the funk that's stenching the Edmonton Oilers as they are bottom dwellers in the Pacific Division, even though there were a lot of people's Stanley Cup favorites or even picks to, you know, emerge out of the Western Conference. But it's been a really crazy time for Connor McDavid. 
he's gone from having an incredible season and people starting to talk about him, you know, accepting the torch from Sidney Crosby as the best player in the world. Wayne Gretzky says this of Conor McDavid, and I quote, as good as I've seen in the last 30 years. To what he's at now, and he's had a really slow start to the 2017-18 season. So, Greg, what gives? Well, he was super sick. I mean, according to a sports uh-huh. graphic that we talked about last week, he had vomiting and nausea and uh, his nose fell off. I don't know. It was a bunch of stuff. But like you said, the beginning of the year was the emergence of him, the ascendance of him to exactly where we thought he was going to be, challenging Sid for best player in the world, putting up crazy point totals, along with the Edmonton Oilers finally kind of achieving their level of playoff success we all thought they could get. But then not only does Connor struggle out of the gate for Edmonton, there's a reevaluation of what Edmonton is as far as a championship team. I mean, the over-reliance on Cam Talbot last season, the inability to replace the goals that left with Taylor Hall and Jordan Eberle, and also the uh, the pick that became Matt Barzell. Over and over again, criticism of management, and uh, within the context of that, looking at the way that, that Connor has uh, not struggled, his point totals are pretty impressive for anybody, uh, but not at the levels that he established in the previous season. So having uh, this young star, this, this torchbearer for the NHL go from an MVP season into a season where if you compare it to the Sidney Crosby trajectory, he should be playing for a cup and then struggling out of the gate without question, one of the bigger stories of 2017. You know how I'll remember 2017? as the year that was supposed to be the renaissance of the golden age of Canadian hockey. And at the end, only the Winnipeg Jets and Maple Leafs were standing ground. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> uh, the number three story in 2017, a pretty big one. The National Hockey League opting out of the 2018 Winter Games thanks to their dispute with the IOC. This is a huge story because it has ripple effects all over the world. This really illustrated the power struggle there was between Gary Bettman, the IOC, and double IHF. And you know what? It wasn't really a power struggle because Gary Bettman just walked away and said, I'm not getting what I want, and the players aren't going. We're not even focused on that. We've made clear why we think this is a problem. Just lost for words when, it, uh, when the news came out. Who wants to struggle? There's no struggles here. Exactly. And, and you know, the, my, my issue here, as you know, I've been supportive of the NHL in this battle with the IOC. The IOC, of course, being the, uh, the devil. The idea that the NHL doesn't get anything palpable from Olympic participation, be it having their logos on the ice, be it being able to call the players that you see in these games, NHL players, and say, hey, if you want to see them after the Olympics, you know where to find them. The idea that they supply all this free labor and don't get any, anything in return from the IOC is a joke. And it was about time for the NHL to take a stand and say, we need more out of this partnership than we've been getting. Where the NHL screwed up royally, as they often do, is instead of being the good guys on the side of good and light and fighting the IOC, they then turn around and make this thing into a collective bargaining issue and saying, well, you know, maybe we're going to go to Beijing, maybe not. But if we go to Beijing, it's up to you players to, you know, give us something that we need in in collective bargaining and and just, you know, pissing away all the goodwill that they had established in a pretty uh, short order. That's not cool. And you know what? I do think this is a very 2017 story, though. I think decision to not go is short-sighted. Uh, yes, Gary Bettman didn't get any concessions from those other two agencies. But look, if you're trying to grow the game globally, grow your audience, grow the sport, playing in Asia, playing for a large national TV audience in NBC, that helps your cause. So um, I think this is a 2017 story. I'm sad. Uh, I don't know what I'm sad about. I just can't believe they're not going to sell them in denial. There's going to be some last-minute 11th hour deal. No, there won't be because there's an all-star game in Tampa and they can't disappoint all the people. No, 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 no. Stop.
Your yeah, boss. that's right. That's right. We captured the first drunk, be drunken pirates in Tampa. We got to go there. But at the same time, you know, you say it's a sad deal. Try telling that to Derek Roy and Mike McKenna and Dan Sexton, who may all be uh, not oh. Olympians. But oh. <laughs> the top two left here on the list for the top stories in 2017. Number two is the Pittsburgh Penguins winning two straight Stanley Cups. One second left to go, and the bucket of the Cars winner, and it's all over. The Pittsburgh Penguins have won the Stanley Cup as they have defeated the Nashville Predators here in Nashville 2-0. And you can tell your ma, you can tell your pa, I'm going to send you back to Arkansas. Stanley Cup champions 2017, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, it's no easy feat. As we see the Penguins stumble out of the gate in the 2017-18 season, it's so hard to go all the way through the season, beat all those teams in the playoffs, get all that tread on the tire, and then do it again. And that's exactly what the Penguins did, you know, against all odds, against a lot of crazy circumstances, including potentially a goalie controversy and moving on from the esteemed Marc-Andre Fleury to the younger and cheaper Matt Murray. But that's what they did, and um, it was impressive. All of you in Yinsburg have a yingling on me still. It's fun. You know, kudos. <laughs> It was it was fantastic, and and um, the ability of a team to put together two championship seasons is obviously in rare commodity in today's game. To see the Penguins do it was remarkable to watch. You know, they they caught a little bit of a break, obviously, in the, in the Stanley Cup final with the injuries that the Predators were dealing with. But still, they closed the deal, they sealed the deal, they made it happen. Is it going to be three in a row? Probably not. They look kind of tired. But two in a row is a hell of a feat. It puts Sidney Crosby on the same level as Mario Lemieux and their accomplishments with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And then even more so, having captured three cups there. Kudos to the Penguins. It was a good team to cover and cemented Crosby's legacy as not only the best player of his generation, one of the best of all time, but also one of the greatest leaders of all time, if we can ever quantify something that nebulous. And ladies and gentlemen... Elvis has just left the building. Before we get to number one, we should probably talk about the stories that came close but just missed making the cut in our top stories of the year. You inspired us, but not that much. (laughs) Which is a really awkward transition because the one I will mention first was a really inspiring story, and that is Brian Boyle's battle with leukemia and the fact that he announced it just on the cusp of the season, was receiving treatments, and then came back to play for the New Jersey Devils and is playing great hockey as we record this. We've seen other players come back and, and do this thing and you know rebound from health struggles, but uh, this one was particularly inspiring. Obviously, you know, scoring a goal as he did and, and weeping afterwards, it's just a hell of a thing. Patrick Marlowe going to the Toronto Maple Leafs, signing there, leaving the San Jose Sharks, where he played his entire career, I think was a, a worthy runner-up. The Jonathan Drouin trade between Montreal and Tampa Bay was a, a runner-up that came close Jennifer to breaking Lair into Fosse. the top ten. I don't speak French, so I would never get traded to Montreal. Also, the Jordan Everly trade, uh, that's another one that um, you know definitely sent some shockwaves around the league. Uh-huh. And I would also say that coming close were the Blue Jackets' winning streak that ended in 2017, technically a 2016 <laughs> story. The top 100 players of all time and the overall centennial celebration for the NHL. It generated new cycles and also it just never seemed to end. I, I think we'll probably still be talking about the centennial in 2018. And then um, social protests and some of that political stuff. I mean, we could have maybe put the Penguins and Trump on this list. We could have maybe put JT Brown on this list. Or the lack um, thereof social protests and what that says about the NHL and yep. its uh, you know, social norms. It came close. It came close. It was a, it was a tough list to craft because there was definitely a lot of stuff that happened uh, in 2017 that was noteworthy but there's only one story above all else 
that deserves the top spot in our look back at 2017 in hockey. Number one, the birth and rise of the Vegas Golden Knights. Extra attacker on for the Golden Knights during a delayed penalty. Neal shot, deflected, score! James Neal let it go during a delayed penalty in the first goal in Golden Knights history. Ties the game. Greg, sing it for me. Sweet Golden Knights. Dun, dun, dun. It was an incredible story. This dominated the NHL uh, news cycles on so many different levels. I mean, first off was the expansion draft, which affected so many different teams. Second was just the fact that, hey, we have a pro franchise in Vegas. What's going to happen? And third is them exceeding all expectations, smashing all expectations, and actually being a legitimate hockey team, like a playoff hockey team. It's wild. It's still blowing my mind. It'll blow my mind until 2018 and 19. To use a word that you love, there are ripples. Many, many ripples. Like the, I do say ripples. There are ripples. ripples. <laughs> I'm a big ocean a visual kind of girl. Oh, man. Emily standing at the shore of a lake, throwing pebbles in. No, at the wave pool at some casino in Vegas. <laughs> um, the fact is that the existence of the Golden Knights meant that there were decisions that every team had to make that were very difficult. And, you know, while there wasn't a ton of moves made on a large scale because of the expansion draft, there were a lot of little decisions to be made. And, you know, who they protected and who they didn't, for example. James Neal being a great example, going from a Stanley Cup runner-up to an expansion team because of the draft, just because the Predators had to protect other players. That was one aspect of it, the chaos that came with the expansion draft. This is an underrated aspect of it, but the fun of seeing them unveil the colors and the jerseys and what they were going to look like. Five, four, three, two, one. And there you go, the Vegas Golden Knights. And then, you know, they start playing games in Vegas and uh, seeing what the game operation is going to be. The fact that they have a, their mascot pulling a sword out of a stone at the beginning of games now uh, and all the kitschiness that came with that. The tie-in with the tragedy on October of the mass shooting in Vegas and, and how that immediately bonded the team with the community. And then, inexplicably, even if we didn't have all of the other stuff attached to the Golden Knights, this was still going to probably be enough to put them in the top spot. They're great! They're just like a great hockey team. And they're fun to watch. Yeah, fun to watch. They're a bunch of cast-offs, and somehow, some way, they put together a season that has seen them in the latter part of 2017 inch their way into the top spot in the Pacific Division. It's a remarkable story for 2017. Maybe in 2018, things fall apart. They don't make the playoffs. But in 2017, the Vegas Golden Knights are, without question, the biggest story of the year. Their birth, their rise their inspiration for the citizens of Las Vegas. Well, Greg, this has been fun. I want to thank our listeners again for being so loyal for such a long time, three (laughs) weeks and going strong. And my New Year's resolution, I'll say it on this podcast, is to make the best hockey podcast in 2018. And I hope you guys are all along for the ride. I also vow that this will be tied for the best hockey podcast in in 2018. (laughs) Deal. I'll take it. And seriously, With ripple effects through all the other hockey podcasts. On behalf of me and Emily and, and Chris Peters and everybody who works on the NHL side of things, you know, things were interesting this year at ESPN all throughout the year. And uh, we're just having a ton of fun and, and doing the work that we're real proud of. And, and we hope that the folks that have gravitated to this podcast and have gravitated to the website stick around because we've got some incredible things in store for you in 2018. And uh, not only on this podcast, but on the site as well. So uh, we appreciate your support. We appreciate your feedback. We 
appreciate And tell your friends. It. Yeah, tell your friends. And we appreciate your participation and always keep in touch with us. I'm on Twitter at Wyshynski, W-Y-S-H-Y-N-S-K-I. I'm Emily M. Kaplan, Emma's and Mom, because there's a lot of Emily Kaplans out there. Indeed. And uh, reach out to us. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know what we can do to improve what we're doing. And uh, seriously, thanks for listening. Make sure that you uh, leave a little review on iTunes if you haven't. And tell a friend about ESPN on Ice, uh, because we like doing it. I'm Greg Wyshynski. I'm Emily Kaplan. See you next year. Bye. This has been ESPN on Ice with Greg Wyshynski. Download and subscribe to the show in the ESPN app and in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening to the ESPN on Ice Best of 2017 special. Audio today courtesy of Fox Sports Detroit, NBC Sports Network, MSG, News Channel 5, Sportsnet, WXDX Pittsburgh, and Fox Sports 98.9 FM.